0: You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. We're back. (laughs) Oh, gosh, Hamish, boy, oh, boy, do we have some exciting news coming up that we can't quite share yet. But oh, my golly gee. Yeah, I know.
1: Talking about it off air. Sorry to be the ultimate tease. (laughs) (laughs) It's an exciting time of the year. Yeah, it's great. It Um, is. yeah, we can't really say too much yet, uh, at all. No, so- <laughs> but get excited. Just gonna, just gonna
0: throw that out there. Get mm. excited. We've got, we'll, we'll have some very exciting news probably in the next two weeks. Maybe I would expect in the next two. Yeah, weeks. yeah, a couple so of weeks. That's gonna be cool. Mm. Um, yeah, when we get the uh, when we get the ultrasound results. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, who's dear. pregnant? Me or you? Uh, I don't know. We both can be. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh dear! Oh I'm, gosh! Uh, I'm not opening that can of worms. No, I'm. No, uh, I'll be honest. I'm running on fumes today because uh, my dog's uh, been a bit sick, so I've been up all night, kind of just looking after her. So I'm. Uh, I'm a little bit tired. So I'm. I'm a, I'm a little bit foggy. But the good news is that I was able to, because I was awake, go through uh, the daily journal annual meeting, which happened at uh, oh, yeah. four five a.m. Uh, this morning for us. Uh, so. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff Mr. Charlie Munger had to say uh, at the Daily Journal meeting, as he always does. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going through it. Was it CNBC?
0: I haven't looked at it at all yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, CNBC. So uh, okay. Becky Quick doing her uh, typical two hour interview with uh, Munger, and um, yeah, there was definitely some interesting commentary on uh, on on China. He spoke about uh, uh, Elon Musk and Tesla. You uh, spoke about Ali Had some interesting commentary there. So yeah, a lot of interesting stuff to discuss.
0: Well, I'm going in blind. So you're going in blind to the 13F filings, which is what Correct. I'm going to be talking about. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you're going in blind to the 13Fs. I'm going in blind to what Charlie Munger was talking about. I tell you what, I reckon surely interviewing Charlie Munger has got to be one of the hardest jobs. Yeah, that exists because he he just the, the way he answers things is just like, uh, yes, because blah 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 blah. Yeah, and he just super sits in silence. Like that's it. You're yeah. Like, oh. Uh, <clears throat> uh. So yeah. So uh, my next question.
1: <laughs> yeah. I reckon he'd be quite difficult.
0: Almost a little bit intimidating, maybe to to interview.
1: Yeah, you'd have to always be ready with the next question. You don't have any chance to kind of look at your notes and get ready. But uh, yeah, mm. he, yeah, he, he definitely didn't uh, change in this uh, interview. He was uh, he was very short and sweet with some of his answers, but uh, still a lot of right. uh, still a lot of stuff to to go through.
0: Yeah. Answering like he's 99 and got better things to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Um, what else? Also, one thing I wanted to follow up on. Did you see this comment? Uh, one commenter that we had on the on, on YouTube from the last episode said, um, they thought that I was five foot, <laughs> <laughs> and th- but they also have newfound respect for me being six foot three. Well, thank okay. you. Although I do have to confess, I looked it up after because I'm not good with the centimetres to feet comparison and maybe somebody already picked this up i'm not actually six foot three <gasps> hamish you liar I'm six foot i'm six foot two and a half <laughs> imagine you realize you're actually five foot three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear oh dear no that's crazy five foot <laughs> yeah. yeah five foot uh,
1: would be uh that's quite short um
0: yeah i'm not even the tallest guy in the office jj how, how tall are you in in feet do you know Six foot eight. JJ's six foot eight. <laughs> Jeez. He
1: is a monster. Yeah, that's getting up there. Got, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, you got some height on your team. You need some, yeah, uh, I know. You need yeah. to balance it out. You are gonna have to hire someone who's like four foot eight now.
0: No, nah, that's all right. Claude's pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you when Claude and JJ stand together. Yeah. Bit of a height difference. <laughs> yeah. Uh anyway, that's uh that's enough talking about heights. Um Yes, so thirteen F season. Yeah, we already spoke about what we're talking about today. Oh, there was also inflation data, wasn't there? Yes,
1: yes, U.S. US inflation, inflation data? data kind of snuck up on us. I didn't uh, even know that was mm. out until I checked this morning. So yeah, yeah, some further data to look at how prices are changing. How fun! Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll take a look at that for sure. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm so numb to these inflation reports now. We've just covered so many of them now. Now that's been a thing for like yeah. So funny, inflation is just nothing. Something that people never spoke about before, like last year. <laughs> it's just like oh, inflation, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, not in the US anyway. There's plenty of other places around the world.
1: But anyway. Mm. All right. Let's get into
0: it, Hamish. Yeah. Let's
1: do it. So today's episode is sponsored by ShareSight, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades uh, by connecting it to connecting your broker to ShareSite, uh, or you can do it manually by downloading your trades using Excel or One by One. And when you do that, it will track all the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those calculations for you. Uh, currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currency currencies. Uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash younginvestors. That's site S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash younginvestors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan and you can track up to 10 holdings, stocks, ETFs, bonds, that sort of thing for as long as you want. Uh, or you can sign up to a more premium plan for more features. And if you do that and you use that link, you'll get four months off a yearly subscription. So go check it out if you haven't already. And uh, as always, thanks to everyone who has used that link when signing up and is supporting the podcast. Mm. All right. 13F time. 13F time. Who Sh- we got? Is that who's where here? we should start? Yeah. Yep. Let's start. Okay. Who,
0: who's 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 first up? Um. So we'll start with Buffett. Why not? Everybody loves Warren Buffett. So 13Fs, of course, uh, it's 45 days, just ticked over 45 days after the end of the quarter. So 13Fs are out. That, of course, if you don't know, um, tells us what is in the uh, stock portfolios of all of our big super investors that have at least $100 million in assets under management. Hmm. So all of, all the ones we follow, Charlie Munger with The Daily Journal, um, Corp, Warren Buffett, Michael Burry, Monash prabhai Guy Spear, Lee Lu, all those guys. Mm. They all release one. So, we've got a few to talk about today. Um, we will start with Warren Buffett. Um, got to remember that this is actually not, this is not the Warren Buffett 13F. It is the Berkshire Hathaway 13F. Mm-hmm. And there are three uh, managers. There's uh, Ted, Todd, and Warren. So, we always have to think about that. I think it's, there's 49 stocks in the Berkshire portfolio. So all that means basically is that if you want to look at what Warren Buffett's doing, you just got to look at the top end of the portfolio because Ted and Todd manage a lot, lot less than what Warren Buffett does. So all of their positions are kind of at the bottom and then Warren Buffett's positions are at the top. Hmm. Um, so I, t- I typically just look at like the top 10 to 15 holdings when it comes to the Berkshire Hathaway stock portfolio because again, even if you look at it, that's like the vast majority of their portfolio. Um, I, I figured out, I can't remember though, but like the top 10... Stocks account for a massive percentage of their total portfolio. Anyway.
1: Yeah, it's um it, it's kinda it's kind of strange to look at Berkshire's portfolio because you, you do want to look at those big ones and, and, and those other decisions being made by by Buffett and, and and maybe Munger there. Um but then yeah, you've got these new managers that manage such a small part of the portfolio. So all of their picks are kind of mixed in right at the bottom and we don't mm. really get a clear picture of what's happening, at least down in that yeah. part of the portfolio. So yeah, we can only yeah. really look at the top.
0: Yep. Um, So, with that said, in terms of like the top 15 holdings in the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio, 10 to 15, there's really, honestly, this is a boring quarter. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's not a huge amount that happened. There's probably two stories that we can really sink our teeth into. Hmm. Um, There were two considerable changes to the top 10 holdings. Talk about the first one, which last quarter in the 10th slot – in the Berkshire portfolio was TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor, just semi uh, the largest semiconductor manufacturer on the planet, mm. and they reduced Buffett. And I should say, it was only last quarter that Buffett added it to the portfolio. Mm, right. So he bought. It wasn't like he added it. Like he added twenty percent to Taiwan Semiconductor or whatever. He bought it last quarter. And this quarter, he has done a complete 180 and he has reduced 86.19%. Wow. So, yeah. he's basically out of that then. He's basically out. And when you see a reduction of that size, it pretty much means that he wanted to sell all of it. But because he's so big, he probably just wasn't able to physically do that by the end of the quarter. So, he still had a little bit left over. Mm. Also, It could be that or it could be that... Um, either Ted or Todd has a very small position in there as well, but right. that's unlikely because it was a new buy last quarter. Um, so that was very interesting um, because uh, this was very, this is very unlike Warren Buffett to mm. go into something one quarter, flip around, and be jetting out of it the next. So yeah. honestly, I'm not, I'm not particularly sure. What the thinking is here? I can only really, you know, a lot of the times we can look at what Buffett's doing and we like, ah, yeah, that makes sense. But this <laughs> yeah. one, I'm kind of like, no, this one doesn't make sense. So I'm not entirely sure. What's yeah, going on. well, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going. Oh, I was only going to say like the shares dropped six uh, percent on the news that wow. Buffett was was getting out, which is the Buffett effect in reverse. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: on the way in and on the way out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing that I was thinking is that uh, maybe Buffett saw... Because there's been a lot of short-term kind of turmoil in the semiconductor space. Obviously, they all went up because there was such a shortage in demand and now uh, there was such a shortage in supply, I should say. And now uh, there seems to be a shortage in demand because uh, you know the macroeconomic conditions are really forcing people to pull back on what they're buying. And yeah. what we have seen with a lot of these semiconductor businesses is that their clients... Um, are reducing or cancelling their orders for these semiconductors. Uh, for example, even last month, TSMC forecasted that their revenue could fall as much as 5% this quarter, uh, which is a very different story. To if you rewound like a year or two ago, it was completely the opposite. They could do no wrong. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, they also noted that they could face weaker demand. So I don't know, did Buffett just make a mistake and they was just like, just say, you know what, it this hasn't punished me yet. I'll just do a 180 and get out before it hurts me. Mm. I don't know. I, I really don't know.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear his commentary on that specifically and and maybe in the, at the Berkshire meeting we can, we'll can we we'll get some answers to some of this stuff. But in the meantime, um, Munger did say a couple of things about Taiwan and about semiconductors oh, okay. during the meeting, so I was just um, rifling through the notes that I took to try and find it. Um, on He was asked about semiconductors specifically um, and around the political climate around Taiwan and um, in classic Munger style, he gave a very short and kind of blunt answer, but his answer was on semiconductors that... It's the kind of business where uh, you take all the money that you make and you reinvest it all just to stay in the game. Uh, typically, we hate those businesses. We want surplus. So he was essentially just describing that it is a very difficult business. Um, mm-hmm. And then he just quoted that you know Intel uh, was once the Taiwan semiconductor of the world. It used to be dominant, uh, and and now very quickly they're, or at least in his view, they're falling behind. So yeah, that that kind of falls in line with I guess what Berkshire has done with. The company, which is um, at least Munger seems to believe, just overall, it's it's a bad business to be in. So um, right, may- okay. maybe uh, Buffett kind of followed in in, in Munger's um, view of that um, now. Right. So yeah.
0: Right. No. No. Maybe no obvious competitive advantages around. The- I don't know semiconductors at all. Yeah. But it's it sounds well. The way it's certainly spoken about in the media is that it almost seems like it's like they're a commodity. And we know that once you start drifting into commodities, there are no moats because you're all kind of making – of course, chips are different and whatever, but they're made in the same kind of process by the same kind of machinery – yeah, just tailored to each individual client. So it kind of is commoditized.
1: Well, especially as the if the innovation curve is slowing down, then there is very little advantage that different companies will have. There's no kind of scale advantage of being able to invest more into staying ahead and having the fastest chips. Um, so, that plays a, a, a considerable role as well. Um, he was also mm. asked about whether the, uh, I think he was asked specifically about the company uh, in, in Taiwan and, and whether this was related to the US-China relations. Um, and he basically said no. Uh, he said that he doesn't think that, that China will go in and, and try and take over Taiwan. Uh, he said after, uh, he said that the chance of a big confrontation with China has gone down uh, due to what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, the Chinese leader is smart, a practical leader. Uh, Taiwan doesn't look like a cakewalk anymore. That uh, and, and that uh, helps people looking to invest in China. So that was his kind of commentary on, on Taiwan um, specifically mm. as well.
0: Interesting. Um Okay, so that's TSMC. Uh, the other big thing to talk about from Warren Buffett's portfolio was a 12.35% reduction in Activision Blizzard. Mm, okay. Again, it's reasonably un-Buffett-like. Um uh, I'll, I'll get to why. Uh, so for those that need the fill-in, uh, Microsoft is trying to acquire Activision Blizzard. So Buffett is not in Activision Blizzard because he loves the business and wants to own it for the long term. He's in it because it's turning into an, a potential arbitrage opportunity. Um, so Microsoft is trying to acquire Activision Blizzard for $95 per share. That's in an all-cash deal which was announced last April. In December, the FTC filed an entry antitrust lawsuit to block the merger. The FTC said the agency alleges that the deal would enable Microsoft to suppress competitors to its Xbox gaming consoles and it's rapidly growing subscription and cloud gaming businesses. So the FTC stepped in. I, I, I'm i not an expert in, in these kind of antitrust cases for certain, but there are people saying, yeah, yeah, it's going to go through. There are other people saying, oh no, probably not. So whatever side of the fence you fall on is, <laughs> is up to you, I guess. Um, but I find it interesting that he's just reduced by 12%. And it's interesting that he also reduced by, in Q3, he also reduced by 12%. He sold 8.26 million shares in Activision. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to just think, like, why would he be doing this? And maybe you have a better insight on this than I do. But to me, is it just he feels like he's a little bit less confident in the merger, just going through, so he just wants like he he's still on balance. He thinks that it will go through, hmm. but he still wants to maybe reduce his stake and reduce the downside risk by just lowering his stake.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I I I think it's hard to tell. I think I think I think it's difficult to tell what. In when when you have these trims, what's related to the actual investment itself, and maybe what's related to some kind of tax harvesting yeah, or true. or some other kind of um, some other kind of opportunity that he's found, some kind of you know short term bond opportunity that might be in the portfolio that we just don't see. So I, I think yeah. it's hard to say um, specifically unless there's a really significant move. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, and and we can't really look to buffett's kind of uh, what he said in the past because you know historically he's he's been the guy who doesn't trim positions if he doesn't trim yeah if he, if he, <laughs> if he falls out of favor with the stock he's out and if he likes the stock he's basically all in <laughs> he'll invest heavily mm-hmm. so he, so trimming is is something that he's done you know he's done it consistently over time even though that's what he said at meetings and so um yeah i, I don't really have any insights on specifically yeah. what that could be
0: the only other bit of information i remember is that todd uh, it was either Todd or Ted, I don't know which one, made an investment in Activision Blizzard at around this price, I think, as well. They they made that investment not too long ago. So I think right. that maybe in the back of Buffett's mind, he's probably come to a similar conclusion and, and, and just been like, okay, well, if things don't work out, then I probably still hold a decent business um, at a decent price because that's what Ted and T- or Todd went into thinking they didn't know that the Microsoft thing was going to happen when they made their investment. They were just buying the business for the business. So Mm. maybe there's an element of that, that he's, he's not super stressed about selling all of it. Maybe he's just gotten a little bit less confident.
1: I don't know. Anyway,
0: moving on, you uh, also he reduced U.S. Bancorp by 91%, Bank of New York Mellon by 59%. So that's kind of been a trend in the last couple of years. He's just gotten rid of the U.S. financials and he has continued to do that. Well, all the f- U.S. financials except Bank of America, which mm. he absolutely adores, yeah. <laughs> which is currently his number two stock at 11.19% of his portfolio. Um, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, but, yeah,
1: we got some commentary from Munger as well on that, so I can um, oh, I, I can talk okay. about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first question of the meeting was about uh, Berkshire unloading the bank stocks, and uh, less about that, but more about why Daily Journal didn't unload their bank investments, um, and why there's kind of a difference. Um, and his answer again was was pretty simple. But he said essentially the the Daily Journal purchases were basically bottom tick purchases at the financial crisis, so they're almost all it's just pure profit. And right. <laughs> essentially given the California taxes and and some other differences between um, Berkshire and the daily journals um, yeah ha, ha, the, the taxes and dividends and that sort of thing um, it was just worth holding on to them still like they're still good businesses essentially um, was it was his answer so he didn't really give a clear answer as to why Berkshire is actually unloading just that um, it, it they're still collecting large dividends and for tax purposes it, it wouldn't they're they not interested in offloading them and realising those massive capital gains that have been kind of accruing for right. a decade. So that was his kind of answer right, on okay. that.
0: that. makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Mm. Uh, really, apart from that, though, um, there was not much going on. They <laughs> added 0.04% to Apple, so basically nothing. Yeah. They reduced Chevron by 1.44%, basically nothing. And then the rest is just not interesting. It's just yeah, so far down the um, list.
1: I'll, I'll add one that I, I saw was I- interesting in some ways and not in another. Um, to Paramount, yeah. they uh, added a small amount to the position, but Paramount represents 0.01% uh, of the portfolio. So it's very, <laughs> very small, but uh, on the flip side, if we're looking at Paramount as a business, Berkshire now owns 15% of the company. So, it is a tiny, tiny percent of Paramount, but uh, clearly somebody, uh, likely Ted or Todd, uh, likes the business and has accrued quite a significant ownership in paramount it's a small company so they can't really make it doesn't make much difference to the overall business of berkshire but clearly they're very um uh, bullish on the on the investment because they own 15 percent of the company now so it's just funny that oh you look at berkshire's 13f and it's it's a tiny tiny percent and then but in terms of the company it's like they've they've basically bought you know as much as they could buy before they're starting to really force the stock up um or yeah. just acquire it's, it
0: um... <laughs> It's point point five three percent. Oh, there of, we go. Berkshire portfolio. We go. Yeah, 0.53%. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was looking at crazy, the change, but yeah, <laughs> less less than one percent. Less than one percent. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it is crazy when you talk in the numbers that Berkshire Hathaway is dealing in. Yeah, it's almost like <laughs> you what's can the buy, point? <laughs> you could buy a hundred businesses for less than point one percent of their portfolio.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it goes um, to okay. zero, it's not really going to make all that much of a difference. So. Yeah.
0: Um, So that was Warren Buffett. Warren Buffet. Um, What else we got to talk about? Um, Lee Lu, he added uh, 168% to Apple. To To Google. Try that one again. To Google Class A shares. So that was a a big addition for Lee Lu. Um, Monish added uh, Brookfield Corp and Brookfield Asset Management don't know anything about there's,
1: Brookfield. There's a lot of value investors in those companies and I really? I, I saw it briefly there um, when, I, when I briefly looked at the 13 NFs, I think yesterday, and uh, it's something I'll, I'll probably take a look at over, over the next couple of weeks and maybe I'll put a video together or something on it, but yeah, thus far, it's not something I've... I'm not particularly... Okay. I don't really look at asset management companies, but um, um, considering there's a number of value investors in it now, I, I, I'll, I'm happy. I'll uh, be willing to look. Maybe it's... <laughs> Yeah. Something
0: going on there. So there you go. Uh, Guy Spear, he did nothing. Charlie Munger, he did nothing. Mm. Michael Burry. What did Michael Burry get up to? just made a video, recorded a video last night on Michael Burry. Um, so he reduced 47% of his geo group position, which is the private prison he was in last quarter. He sold out of Core Civic, which is another private prison operator that he had last quarter. Um, interestingly... Interestingly, hmm. he bought Chinese tech. He bought Alibaba and he bought JD.com. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. So they both occupy 9% of his current portfolio each. Right. Um so he obviously joins the raft of value investors that own uh, the Chinese tech companies. Yeah. Um so I was trying to think about why, I don't know. It's obviously still very much beaten down. The delisting risks I was looking up, they're now quite muted. They kind of sorted that out. The PCAOB is now able to check out the audit data for these Chinese companies, which is good. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's still a bit of worry on China's economy. Um, a lot of the slowdown last year, there was a big economic slide. I think their economic growth slid from 8.4% to 3% in 2022 wow. for China. Wow. Um, obviously, most of that's on the back of their COVID policies. Uh, but obviously, there's still quite a few concerns about geopolitical kind of situation and also just reduced global demand for stuff at the moment um, just due to the macro yeah um what else do I have to say um he did actually time them quite quite beautifully because both <laughs> that both both of these companies have just been an absolute tear at the start of this year mm. and even to the end of last year I think but there was a very obvious like big dip in Q4 for both of them that I feel like he's just Probably he's probably just making a trade. Let's be real; it's Michael Barry, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably just seeing that the stocks have just fought, dipped very sharply, suddenly gotten in, and then what do you know? They've reversed their trend and have now been on a bull run.
1: Yeah. So, he's done very well. well. He's he's been talking um, a lot recently about uh, how his he, how today's market looks a lot like the early two thousands, and and back then he was doing kind of very traditional Graham style value investing where sometimes he'd hold things for short periods and just realize the value and get out. But yeah, often he was holding um, stocks for a little bit longer than that. So, and that's certainly not something we've seen with Bury recently. I mean, every quarter, it's it's a new portfolio. It's brand new. Um, <laughs> he, he sells everything, buys something new, and then does it all over again. Or he just has a portfolio of options, or he just has some weird stuff going on. So, it'll be interesting to see if yeah. maybe he does start to build out some positions that we see stay in the portfolio for a little while. And um, these Chinese stocks could potentially represent some of that because they are good quality businesses. Um Munger on uh, investing in China, he essentially said the same thing he's been saying um, forever, which is China has stronger companies and they're at cheaper valuations. So, the risks, whatever they are related to the the, um, the, the governance in China, is offset by the higher return that you get both from them being cheaper and the businesses performing better. So, it's kind of a double-edged yeah. um you get kind of yeah, the best of both worlds. Um, so that's interesting to see. But yeah, it, it, yeah I'm curious to see if, if Bury holds on to a few things for a bit longer because he did have a couple of value plays from the last quarter. Curate, I think, was one of them. And I think he mm. sold most of it. Um, yeah, 70%. Yeah, so that was interesting to see. Um, it hadn't performed that great since he bought it. So I would have um, mm. thought he might have hold, held some of those a bit longer. But there we go. Yeah. So I think they they weren't massive positions,
0: nine million dollars each. I think he manages upward of one hundred and sixty million. But yeah, okay. still interesting. He he his portfolio is only like forty nine million at the moment. So he's got a lot of either cash or short positions or something else. Yeah, um, he's got something um, brewing so yeah, in the background. <laughs> there's,
1: there is there is definitely you, something you know brewing he's in got you know he's got some weird security in that portfolio. Probably. That's that's not on there. That's not listed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There'll be a movie about it one day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll see it in five years. We'll be like, ah, oh, that's what he's been oh, doing. That's, oh. Oh.
0: I see. <laughs> um, what else? I don't want to drag on too much with with this because yeah, you don't even know if these positions are going to stay in his portfolio by this time or even by now. Right now, yeah, they're, to they're speak, probably maybe gone. gone. <laughs> they might already be gone. Uh, he took up a $5.2 million position in Coherent. I don't know much about this company. Um, it's a $6 billion company listed on the NASDAQ. Actually changed their name last year. They were 2-6 incorporated to, uh, and they changed it to Coherent after making the acquisition of Coherent. Right. Um, so the business is centered around three types of products, semiconductor production, uh, networking equipment, and lasers. Lasers. Mm, okay. um, yeah, for all sorts of purposes, welding, um, medical diagnosis treatment also like all sorts of stuff um, different types of lasers which is kind of cool hmm. um stock was down uh, about 60 percent from its peak in 2021 that was when they actually announced that they wanted to buy coherent their stock just went <laughs> <laughs> um, but interestingly he's probably sitting on about a 40 percent gain after buying it because it's just been on a tear it's just been on a tear um so very interesting um I don't know whether that's a short-term trade. I don't know whether it's a long-term play. I just don't know enough about that business, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. Uh, his second biggest holding now, still behind GeoGroup, is uh, Black Knight, a $9.2 billion position in Black Knight. So this business provides software that allows banks and mortgage lenders to streamline the home loan process. So their software basically helps to manage, uh, manage and process loans, Handle customer documents and information. And also, it's a platform that makes sure everything da- is done in a compliant manner and is secure. Hmm. Um, they also have an analytics platform, property analytics platform that they sell, but I think that's a lesser part of their business. Um, and this is interesting uh, because this is, again, one of the Warren Buffett workouts, the arbitrage kind of opportunities, because. Um, Intercontinental Exchange is currently looking to acquire Black Knight. Ah. So, they've committed to buying Black Knight at $13.1 billion. Um, it's currently at $9.2 billion market cap. Um, but currently, um, so yeah, I guess overall, so there's a potential for a 32% upside if the deal goes through. Um, but currently, the deal is like... Um, like Activision Blizzard, is being held up by regulators who have con- expressed concerns over antitrust. The resolution is expected in the middle of the year, so I would expect Michael Burry to, to hold this through to fruition unless he just makes a killing and it's just like, yeah, not worth the risk of it not working out. Hmm.
1: I'd, um, but, yeah. I'd be really interested to have a long discussion with someone who makes these kinds of trades regularly and how they assess the likelihood of them going through, whether it's a... Yeah. It, it's it's a you know is this a small bet in the I think it's a large position in his portfolio, right?
0: Is it this? St- oh, it's his second largest. Yeah, but so, remember his oh,
1: portfolio is still only
0: 47-49 million out of the 160 something that it was like yeah. 3 month, 3 quarters ago or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean I'd be I'd be so curious to know if assessing the likelihood of the the deal going through is is a part of it and how that process looks or whether there's some other kind of um Decision that that's involved in this, um, I, I'm 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 really curious. Is it? Yeah, I, I have no idea how you I would even know. begin to go through this process, except maybe looking at similar cases and 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 whether there's a large majority that that ultimately were decided in the favour of the company. I don't I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it would be interesting to talk to someone about that. Um, yeah, because I have no. You really need to know. You really need to know like how the FTC works,
0: what they're tr- like trying to achieve. What what their focus is from yeah. higher up, you know, what do they need to touch It's kind of like what we're what we're talking about with ASIC and stuff. Like what how how does ASIC you need think to about things? Yeah, what are they trying? What are they trying to do? What are they trying not to do? That's that sort yeah. of thing.
1: Or you know the judge. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate. <laughs> Barry. Oh,
0: ba- oh, are you on that case? Oh. <laughs> Look, I haven't seen you in a while. You want to catch up over drinks on mm. Friday night? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Check Barry's calendar. <laughs> Who's he been meeting for lunch?
0: <laughs> I don't know. The guy gets investigated by the FBI already. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, All right, Hamish. That's all I got to
1: talk about for 13Fs.
0: All right. Only half the podcast. <laughs> well, this
1: podcast is basically half the 13Fs, half the Charlie, half Munger Charlie Munger Daily Journal meeting. So, um, yeah,
0: tell me about Charlie. What's going on?
1: Yeah, what is so, going on? Uh, yeah, so we, we had the annual Daily Journal uh, meeting, which happened, which essentially is uh, five minutes of them doing their annual meeting, and then uh, two and a half hours of uh, a nice Q and A session with Mister Munger, um, which uh, where we get to kind of hear all kinds of uh, answers from uh, Munger about I- investing and, and his, his life principles and all kinds of things. Um, and there was a lot of interesting points uh that were discussed. I spoke about a couple of them already, um, kind of as you were going through the third NFs, but, um, I'll see what else we got here. So chat GPT came up pretty early, which, um, I thought was uh, interesting. He was asked about the impact of chat GPT and AI on, uh, the daily journal business and just businesses at large. He said, uh, uh, AI will continue to be really important for businesses, but there is a lot of crazy hype on the subject uh, at the moment. And he essentially said it won't do everything. And a lot of it is nonsense. Um, and to that, I I probably agree with him <laughs> that uh, there is quite a bit of hype, at least at the moment around this sort of stuff. It's very exciting, but um, mm. but there is a- So many news articles
0: being written about it. It's just like everywhere and all the AI stocks have gone up and blah, blah, blah. It's just like- this one thing happens and then all the analysts at Wall Street go, oh, look at that. We better start investing in AI. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and it, yeah, so so Bing's kind of introduced portions of ChatGPT now into their, their their platform. And I've seen some videos where people have been, had this kind of close beta testing at the moment, and some people have been using it. it it's looked really impressive. And then I've seen other bits and it's just falling apart with some very basic um, requests. Um so yeah, it, it it's certainly still very uh, early stage. It's um some questions you'll be blown away by the answers, and others it, like someone was looking up um on, on Twitter was looking up different financials for a company, and it just got every single number wrong. Um, so it, it it's it's not it's not <laughs> going to be great. <laughs> it's not great uh, so far at, at doing some things, but um, but it is interesting. That's for sure. Um,
0: yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm distracted. I was just looking at Bing. Yeah, so you and, can, um, you can um you can join um, a waitlist. Plan me a workout for my arms abs with no sit-ups and no gym equipment. <laughs> and
1: it's sure enough it's worked exactly like ChatGPT. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is um it is fascinating and uh hopefully it's um the, I I think the the we we spoke about this I think last week which is that because it's a language model you were saying that it just gives you so much confidence that it's correct when when it may not be um yeah and and true and yeah it, it's impressive it spits out an answer that seems like it's done all the maths or whatever um but yeah you, if it's getting a lot of things wrong we've kind of got to you got to keep that in mind that it's you know You've you've also got to check it yourself. (laughs) Don't Mm -hmm. just rely on its maths. But um, essentially, uh, there was also a question that someone got ChatGPT to ask. So, they said they asked ChatGPT, ask Charlie Munger a question. And the question was, uh, what is the most challenging bias to overcome Uh, And uh, Munger said, uh, the one factor that dominates bad decisions is denial. Uh, If the truth is unpleasant, the mind plays tricks on you. And he said uh, his greatest example of denial is the investment management industry. Uh, Essentially, he said, 95% of managers won't beat the indices, and they know this, yet they continue to charge fees to underperform the indexes. And he basically said, they're going to continue to do it because they've got kids and they've got a wife and they want that new house. And it's, it's just a form of denial that they most of them live in, which is that they know that their business is selling advice that's bad or <laughs> that performs worse than what could otherwise be achieved with index funds. So, um, mm. I thought that was an interesting answer. Um, from Munger yeah. and um, yeah, he doesn't stray Definitely. away from from taking a pot shot at uh, the traditional management industry, that's for sure. Yeah, classic. He doesn't like him, but fair enough. I mean, yeah. I don't like him either. Yeah, it's uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, interesting characters in the uh, investment management industry, we'll, we'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, yeah. I think, the most shocking thing that kind of uh, came out of left field from this... Uh, from this meeting was on Alibaba. Uh, he actually said, and I had to go back and listen to it again because I thought that I misheard him. He said it was the worst mistake he's ever made. Um, the, worst mista- the worst mistake he's ever that made. That was word for word. And I, Yeah, I, I, he still holds it. Yes. Um, so interesting. Um, he didn't actually say all that much beyond this. A classic Charlie Munger. He never explains what he actually means, but he said he got charmed with their position in the Chinese internet market but didn't stop to think that there's still a goddamn retailer. It's still going to be a competitive business, not a cakewalk. And then later in the interview, he kind of went over it again and said, again, he was overcharmed by Alibaba and that he overestimated the future returns of the company. So that gives us an indication that he probably still likes the business, but that he believes yeah. he's significantly overpaid for it, uh, which is interesting. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. interesting that he's, as you said, that he's still holding the company. Third largest holding um fifteen
0: percent of the portfolio for the daily journal twenty six million
1: yeah yeah but um but yeah, he said it was the worst mistake he's ever made, so there you go that's that's quite a statement <laughs> that is quite
0: a statement wow we wow we mm, he he was buying at like two hundred and thirty dollars a share, I think, I think that's when he started buying, yeah. I think my my average is like one thirty. I think the stock sits at one hundred at yep. the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. And he would have well, gotten
1: is- he would have gotten a little bit back with his tax harvest that he did. Of course, um, of course. But still, yes, he he in you know in hindsight he's he's m- overpaid significantly to where the stock is. And look, maybe long term mm-hmm. it'll it'll turn out that today's price is absurdly cheap and his price is just cheap, right? And both work out. Um, but he doesn't seem to believe that at least. Um. that's
0: that's a little bit my stance with these I think if you're looking at these t- Chinese tech you, you, you have to you cannot invest with anything but a long-term mindset. Of course. You have yeah. to cuz that like what what's happening in China, what has been happening in China still going on, macroeconomics, reduced uh, demand for products and services, a lot of the products of the world come from China, so I think you've just, you've really got to go in with like, what's this business going to look like in 10 years' time or 20 years' time? I think that makes a little bit more sense. Maybe it makes things a bit clearer. But yeah, I think, yeah, you just have to, you can't expect. To make 20% return in three months by buying a stock like Alibaba or Tencent or something.
1: No. I, I mean given the volatility. Even though that's probably exactly what's happened, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah, I think I think given the volatility of the relationship between the US and China, you just any short-term horizon is just plagued by just the the chance that there's it, it, the, that relationship goes in you know, a in a very bad direction. Kind of like when when um you know a few years ago when, when Trump was it was president and and he was really going after China with the tariffs, um we didn't kind of see that continue to play out for many years in a row. But if we had, then you know maybe we'd be in a different position today with th- those relations. So, um you know you, you just it's just so fragile. I think we you, it's um you've, yeah you've got to have that long term perspective. Mm. Uh, alibaba is actually up 62 percent since october <laughs> yeah i mean it, it wanted to go down to like 60 dollars in november at the start of november rather yeah i, I mean <laughs> it from its peak it must have been down over 85 percent or something i think um it was it at that point absolutely got destroyed yeah, so 80 percent
0: yeah yeah it did get destroyed it's still down 66 percent from its peak yeah
1: yeah crazy interesting
0: um all right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, Charlie Munger. Biggest mistake.
1: Yeah. All right. So, um, we shall see. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch what he does with that. He uh, had a couple of questions around um, around electric vehicles and, and Elon Musk and Tesla. He said that uh, Musk is an intelligent person. Uh, he was asked about whether his takeover of Twitter is good or bad for America. Um, and Munger just said, I don't use Twitter, <laughs> which is fair enough. Um, fair yeah, it's uh, not sure exactly why He's you asked ask that question to uh, to him. There's only really one answer he would have given for that. Um, yeah. He did say, though, that Musk has done a good job with te- Tesla, just not as good as BYD, uh, which is BYD mm. is, of course, Munger's uh, Chinese electric vehicle investment with uh, Li Lu. He was also asked specifically about why BYD over Tesla, and he said, that's easy. In China, BYD is increasing their prices while Ke- Tesla has cut them twice, uh, he said BYD is so far ahead in China, it's ridiculous. Um, and he said BYD's manufacturing plants are as big as the all of the land on Manhattan Island. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that kind of puts in perspective how um, significant BYD's operations are in China. But um, flawed logic, though that last that last quote definitely
0: flawed logic. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you like, if you why if you can churn out more cars in a smaller footprint. That's better than just being able to say, oh, look, we have manufacturing plants that cover more surface area than Manhattan. Yeah. okay, that means you've had to pay for more land, you've (laughs) had to build more warehouses, you've had to tool more lines. It's like, yeah, yeah, flawed logic because Tesla's um, strategy is obviously completely different. Get the most amount, uh, like increase the production pace in your lines as much as you possibly can so you just don't need... That kind of volume, uh, mm. that factory volume, but anyway. So definitely, Charlie, that that was silly of you, mate. That's very obviously flawed logic on that last point, but the rest of it, mm, we'll
1: see. Who's who, who makes does Tesla make more cars in um, China than than BYD? Nah. No, BYD I is larger.
0: Like BYD deliveries. China.
1: Because i i haven't looked at i haven't looked at any of this stuff, so um, yeah, I don't. It's, but I would presume by his commentary that that BYD is – significantly larger, mm. but... Um,
0: yeah, it says... Hang on, I'm just trying to find it. China ships, China ships 6.5 million units of new energy vehicles in 2022. Yet, yeah, but what about BYD? What about <clears throat> BYD? No, I don't think I'm going to find it. Anyway, <clears throat> I'll right. have a look in the background. Yeah, you, yeah, you I'll going. Have a look at the
1: background. Um, yeah. He was asked why Berkshire sold BYD, but uh, Daily Journal didn't. Uh, And he essentially said, uh, we're not trying to be a a mini Berkshire. So, sometimes we'll do things differently. Um, And then he went on to say that BYD is selling at 50 times earnings. So, it's understandable that someone would want to sell at their valuation. So, um, that gives you an interesting kind of um, difference in opinion um, between uh, what to do when a stock gets to 50 times earnings. Charlie has had a long track record of not wanting to sell anything. If it's a great business, he's very happy to hold on to it. I'm sure... He's well, not I'm sure. I know he's not buying at 50 times earnings, and he doesn't mm. want to overpay for businesses like that. But if he buys them cheap and they run up, he's very happy to hold them. Um, the exact same thing is true with Costco, which is now sitting at 40 times earnings. He didn't buy it at 40 times earnings, but he's very happy to continue holding those those businesses. Mm. So, um, I found I found this.
0: In December, BYD sold 235,000 vehicles in China. Of those, 122,000 were plug-in hybrids. Okay, so like half-ish uh, plug-in hybrids. The rest were battery electric vehicles. Okay, so let's like say 120,000 electric vehicles. Right. Uh, It sold over 900,000 of each type in 2022. Tesla made 55,000 battery electric vehicles in China last month and a total of over 700,000 for the year. Hmm. So 700 versus 900. Okay, so they're they're, they're pretty close. They're not too different in terms of deliveries, but what they make per vehicle, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, that's not Uh, something I've looked
0: at. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure. I need to go back over that. Uh,
1: um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, uh, so that was that was basically it on BYD. He was asked about uh, someone asked what could breach Costco's economic moat, um, and he said as long as they keep their culture and low markups, there's no stopping it. Um, and uh, that you know, I think feeds into the whole idea of scale economies shared, which is that they've got this scale, and if they just continue to under markup every company, then even if other c- Companies with smaller scale used the same markup, they would, they would be making far less profit than Costco. So Costco is in this mm. very unique position where if they just continue to deliver um, their additional economic benefit, their additional scale benefit back to customers in the form of lower prices, there's really no stopping them. Um, he said, the problem is, from an investment perspective, is that it, it trades at 40 times earnings. Otherwise, it's perfect and a marvel- has a marvellous future run by wonderful people, and he's never going to sell a share. Um, so this' his commentary on Costco. Uh, and then on a similar vein around um, high quality businesses, he was asked why Benjamin Graham never evolved into high quality businesses like Munger has been buying for most of his life. So um, you, know, you have kind of uh, Benjamin Graham's net-net deep value kind of process and then that's how Warren Buffett got started and then over time Buffett switched into um, high quality businesses and, and a lot of that was influenced by Charlie Munger and Phil Fisher. Uh, What he said essentially was that Graham's rise was when there was a lot of low-hanging fruit among mediocre businesses that were way too cheap, but that the low-hanging fruit eventually went away. Uh, So, that's kind of his thoughts on kind of the the deep value um, process. And then, uh, interestingly, he said uh, Graham actually made more than half of his money in one stock in the end. And that stock was Geico, which was ultimately a great business. And he said, essentially, the process that he taught is not how Graham actually made most of his money, which is kind of an interesting kind of twist on like the mm. whole... Um, it's kind of coming full circle in that uh, at the end of the day, yeah, the what made Graham the most money was the compounding of the one, you know, high quality business in his portfolio, which was Geico. So... I thought that was interesting to hear his perspective. I don't don't think I've heard him answer that question quite before. Um, And it it definitely gives you an insight into why Munger is so, and has been his whole life, uh, passionate about the idea of high quality businesses buy and hold over, you know, buying into these kind of mediocre businesses that are just really cheap. Um, So I thought that was interesting. Uh, he was asked about, and this is kind of the last point I've got here, asked about Disney and Paramount. I'm um, not exactly sure why he was asked about Disney, except that maybe because it's been in the headlines recently. Um, but uh, And then Paramount was about, because Berkshire owns 15% of Paramount now. On Disney, he said uh, every business that Disney owns has gotten tougher. Uh, ESPN used to be a gold mine, now it's a difficult business. Uh, and inf- unfortunately, that's just what happens in business. He also said uh, when a new technology comes in, it's often the incumbents or the legacy. Businesses that mess up the shift, and he get, kind of gave an example, which was IBM, um, which for most of his life has been this, the uh, a company that has been admired, and then the last ten or fifteen years in the internet age, they've kind of fallen quite behind some of the other big uh, computer companies. Uh, and then on Paramount, he said, uh, in, in terms of why he hasn't, Daily Journal hasn't invested in Paramount, but Berkshire has. He said uh, he's avoided the movie business uh, as investments his entire life. He doesn't like the unions, the agents, the lawyers, the movie stars. That's not his culture or that's not my culture is what he said. Uh, and then he said that the movie business has always been very hard for people who put the money up, the investors. So it's always been a business that's good for the actors and, and the people participating in it. But the people who are investing, mm. uh, it's always been very difficult. So that's kind of his um, perspective on on Paramount. Awesome.
0: Nice. A lot of good topics covered.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. I think a lot more, and there was a lot more, I, I cut out the crypto stuff because it was it was rinse and repeat from from yeah. every previous year. And there was a couple other topics that I didn't get to. So um, yeah, I encourage anyone who wants to see the full interview, go check it out. It's uh, I think it was unlisted on CNBC. So you kind of have to Google search for it, go through the CNBC website and then you'll find it. But um, Do you have a link?
0: Can you just post it to me?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't have it right here, but I'll... Um, That's all right. Yeah, dig it up later. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, very cool. Um, yeah, I'm keen to go and watch that now. Uh, but let's talk about how long we got. We got ten minutes, Hamish. So mm-hmm. let's talk about U.S. inflation. U.S.
1: inflation. All what right. happened? So. Yeah, so things have gotten uh, a little bit worse. Not too bad, but um, not as good as last quarter. So, uh, inf- a little bit worse. No, yeah, a little bit worse. Uh, inflation in January rose 0.5%, which was uh, a lot faster than the 0.1% increase from last month. So a bit of an increase in the pace to start 2023. The annual inflation figure did continue to decline, though. Uh, so the annual figure is now 6.4%, down from 6.5%. Um, although notably uh the rate of that decline is is starting to slow. Um so so we're kind of kind of um the, the month over month rates is is uh where we're at in terms of uh the annual rate now. Uh food and energy both rose pretty considerably in January. Food was up 0.5% month over month, energy was up two percent month over month, and that's a bit of a shift from the last few months where energy has just been consistently going down, and that's been kind of driving this decrease in inflation. Mm -hmm. uh core inflation uh which excludes food and energy was 5.6 percent year over year on a month over month basis it was up 0.4 percent which is basically the same it's been for the last few months so core inflation has been very very consistent and kind of holding up in a way within that uh there's shelter which was up 0.7 percent and a lot of that is kind of home price increases and rental increases being passed through by homeowners uh Rising prices also meant that a loss in meant that it was a loss in real pay for workers. So average hourly earnings fell 02 percent for the month, and in total is now down one point eight percent for the year. So um, nominal wages are up, but once we take into account inflation in real terms, people are, are worse off. Worse off. Um, mm. uh the Fed uh, has a new figure that they've, they've kind of started talking about in the last couple of months. Which, oh, my gosh. You know, they always have a new figure, right? <laughs> Is it the transitory inflation figure? No, no. But, yeah, well, that'd be interesting to hear that come back, though. <laughs> transitory <laughs> interest rates. <laughs> Trans- um, <laughs> no, but um, <coughs> so we, we've got the inflation figure. We've got core inflation, which removes the uh, food and energy. And now we've got super core. <laughs> <with> super- <laughs> oh, my gosh which is super core. Um, and the, to be fair, there's actually a reasonable, it seems like a rational reason to talk about it. Um, super core. So the super core. Super core inflation <laughs> coming to a Xbox near you. I don't know about that. I don't know about that name. Um, it's essentially the core inflation figure, but also excludes shelter. Um, so now they're excluding the next thing that's uh, going up a lot, which uh, which, has been, which has been home prices. But the reason for it is that... Um, they seem to have very strong reason to believe that home prices are going to fall later in the year. So they think that there's, there's shelter yep. that's in the inflation figures right now is just not going to represent really long run inflation or where inflation is heading, um, which seems to make sense, especially given the interest rate increases. That's what you would expect to see um, play out, although we never really know until it happens. But At least that's their argument. Uh, The super core inflation figure rose just 0.2% in January and was up 4% year over year. Um, So, yeah, of course, the the figure that they care about most is the the best-looking figure, as always. Mm. Um, But whichever way you slice it, inflation is still meaningfully above 2%. Um, So, more rate hikes are likely to be coming, unfortunately. Mm.
0: Yep, would expect that. Next, they're gonna come out with super duper core inflation, <laughs>
1: which will be negative ten yeah. percent. Oh
0: my gosh, we need to stimulate, quick, guys! <laughs>
1: <laughs> minus food, minus energy, minus shelter, minus transport, minus used cars, minus <laughs> yeah, <laughs> minus yeah. retail. <laughs> it's just minus everything, literally everything. And it came in at my nothing. God. There's no inflation. It's, it's deflation. If, no. we, yeah, if we remove everything. There's no inflation. Oh my
0: god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, Uh dear oh dear. But yeah, I I think I think you're right. I wonder when the next Fed meeting is. I don't know. Do they do one in? F- have they already done one in February? Uh, one in February. I don't know. There'll be one coming out in a little while.
1: Yeah, expect. I think there should be one remember. in the next week or so. Uh, actually, yeah. no. It was a, no. Sorry, it was at the start of February. Was the last one. So it'll be the f- start of March, I believe. Um,
0: yeah. Except there's. They're not always perfect.
1: No, they do, uh, I think they do 10 meetings a year or something like that.
0: 10, yeah, in 12 months. So we've had the th- one which went from the 31st of Jan to the 1st of Feb. Yep. Uh, the next one is March the 21st oh. to the 22nd. Okay, there you go. So there you go. So we'll have to wait a little while. All right, cool, Hamish. Right. Thank you for that. All right, shall we do some Q and A questions? Yeah. To finish off the podcast. I don't think I had anything oh, <laughs> I did have one thing actually, just really quickly. Yeah. Um, the world's oldest Bible is going to go on sale at auction. Wait, uh, in the next little while. Wait, the world's oldest Bible. So the
1: the, yep. the original copy. You mean? I don't. <laughs> well, I don't know. The <laughs> copy that exists, the oldest copy that we know exists. The, the one know. written by God. <laughs>
0: Look, honestly, when it comes to biblical texts, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. Guess how much they're expecting this uh, world's oldest Bible to it, sell for at auction? Can I
1: get a estimate on when it was? How old it is? Or do we not know? It is.
0: Uh, a Hebrew Bible that's more than a thousand years old.
1: God, that's got to be going for a lot. How's the condition? Yes. Is it mint condition? Is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is it mint? <laughs>
0: it's, it's actually still in the box. <laughs> it's, it's unwrapped.
1: It's still, unwrapped still in the, the plastic box.
0: from a thousand um, years ago. It's, it, no, um, it's expected to become the most valuable historical document ever auctioned.
1: Oh, this has to be going for hundreds of millions then, surely.
0: Not hundreds of millions, but yes, millions.
1: Wow, really? Okay, it's uh, somewhere between f-
0: f- ten million and
1: okay, give me 80 million. 52 million
0: f- Yeah, fifty million. <laughs> is it actually fifty to sell for fifty? Yeah, that's, yeah that that yeah, doesn't
1: yeah. seem like a lot. That seems like what
0: is fifty million dollars for a book? This is dude.
1: a thousand-year-old book, though. This is this is the this is a really old book. That yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. so old. I don't know. I mean, I, to the right person, I get. I don't know. I mean, it's a I don't know. a Bible from a thousand years ago. Like that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy i mean uh, yeah i'm not a, i'm not even a religious person but to me that seems like it would be um a pretty hard like th- like that would be very hard to find a, a, a bible that old um
0: because
1: mm. obviously it, it's just been scribed over and over and over again over you know mm. yeah well thousands of years right a couple thousand yep. years so uh yeah i don't know i feel like that would just be worth like a billion dollars or something i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: maybe to the right person I mean this is the thing with art and collectibles yeah it's literally worth what the
1: next person is well, willing to pay for especially it. So some maybe to somebody know, it is worth that amount well we had nfts go for 60 million dollars this year yeah. I mean like that's true wow that's a that's wow I mean mm. we really like we, we've got board wow the, the board apes market is bigger than 50 million like like what world wow, do we live that's in that's a weird. Yeah, un- what's wrong with us? That's what I'm saying. I mean, what is wrong with us? I, I don't care if it's a Bible odd. or just you know some any book. A, a thousand-year-old book, that has to go more than a fake picture. That, yeah, <laughs> than a JPEG of a monkey. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it is completely worthless.
0: <laughs> Man, crypto bros in the comments, they'll be hating us this week. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, Maybe give it a thousand yeah. years. Give it, yeah, maybe it'll be worth something in a thousand (laughs) years. Uh, Sotheby's in May will auction the so called Codex Sassoon, which dates to the ninth century and bridges the discovery uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the modernly accepted form of today's Hebrew Bible. Quote, it is a vital touchstone of human history, said Richard Austin, Sotheby's global head of books and manuscripts. He would say that, wouldn't he? He's trying to sell it.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, it's expected to go somewhere between 30
1: and 50 million.
0: In 2021, hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin paid 43.2 million for a first edition copy of the U.S. Constitution. Mm.
1: Yes,, yeah, I mean Bill- that's, in in, 19- that's not even that
0: old. No. In 1994, Bill Gates paid 30.8 million for the Codex Leicester, a collection of scientific writings that contains drawings by Leonardo, Leonardo
1: da Vinci. Yeah, so this, this, this is what I'm saying. Like, these aren't even that old. These are, you know, a couple hundred years old. Yeah. We're talking about a thousand years old. That has to be... Yeah, just pay up, couple,
0: you know, 20, 20 million
1: more, how did they 10 even, million more. How did they even make a book a thousand years ago? I'd like to see it. I don't Look, know. am going to see a picture of this after this. It's probably cool. the
0: same way. I don't know. How do they make parchment? I don't know what parchment, <clears throat> how they... I don't know the process, but I, it's just, I, there was a picture. It just looks like a, a book it's made of parchment and just hand-scribed.
1: Imagine just writing that out. Yeah, we got, an, yeah. We got another sale. <sighs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they weren't doing that but <laughs> He just finishes hey, Jerry.
0: Jerry No 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 Leo just bought that one
1: <laughs> Page 10,000
0: Can you How quickly can you make another one oh, I've just spilled oh coffee on God. those pages
1: Could you do that again <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no, it's oh, oh the coffee everywhere. Oh my god. Start again. Right.
1: Jeez, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Come though. back a month later. Draw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. up the contract again. Yeah, I don't
0: know. How long would it take him to scribe it? I don't know. I don't, don't know. I don't know. Nice. Um all right. Is that all oh, let's do one quick uh QA. Here.
1: Sneak one in. Uh um, Here's a quick one.
0: Should we yeah yeah sure yeah why not <laughs>
1: hello question to you both what do you think about meta shares valuation today do you think it will fall again hot take yeah. from brandon here i
0: put this i put this one in um i put this one in because unfortunately this is an example of a question that we just can't answer um it's first of all we're, we're not supposed to answer questions like this because the answer we give can be construed as financial advice which we are not in the business of doing um but also I think it highlights another thing that you really shouldn't you really shouldn't seek out what other people think on valuation you shouldn't seek out what um, yeah what what, what what people online think or, or influences or whatever what they think about different stocks and that sort of thing I think at the end of the day you've got to be able to uh, you've got to understand the business well enough to, to think about what you you think the valuation will be will it fall again who knows who knows? I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's quite the right mindset either. Because <clears throat> um, you got to be, th- you got to be thinking: Do I want to own this business, even if it does fall again? I- yeah. Even if it goes up twenty percent, if it goes down twenty percent, if it goes down fifty percent, do I want to own this business? Um, so I, I do. I do. Thank you for the question. Unfortunately, it's not one we can answer. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, that like we've got videos on on kind of valuation metrics we don't obviously no one knows whether it's going to fall again who knows anyone anyone's yeah. guess but if yeah if you want to have a look at uh, valuation and try and do it yourself based on your own kind of assumptions on growth and the quality of the business and that kind of thing then we've both got videos that can help you do that yeah yeah i put one out just last week <laughs> yes you did yeah, yeah it's you... a good video as well <laughs> thank you mate thank you
1: all right couldn't have said it better uh, myself on this Uh, Yeah, there's there's nothing really I can add. That's um, pretty much word for word what I would say um, on this as well. So with that said, thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, spending a little bit of your uh, Saturday morning uh, with us. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back next week. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me uh, as always. And uh, thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring. Head over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Almost said Hamish Hodder there. Um, Don't go to that link. (laughs) Go to ShareSite. Shareside.com <laughs> forward slash young investors. Um, and uh thanks to everyone who supports the podcast. With that said, we'll see you yeah, guys. Thanks, guys. See you next week. <laughs>